go back to the data, right? If you're not doing this already, you need to go and figure out exactly what are those benchmarks? What are those things we want to understand from our customer base and our inability to collect, whether, you know, separating out the voluntary versus involuntary and ensuring that once you've broken that down into those buckets, you can look at, let's get more deeper dive into the whys around involuntary. And in essence, the data doesn't lie, right? Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can uplevel your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another special episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. Joining me today as co-host is Josh Mathers, and we are here today to talk about retention and revenue recovery. We're joined by a couple of esteemed guests who bring to us expertise in these areas, Kevin Salerno from Newfold Digital and Kristen Vandendresch. So Kristen, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you guys here. We're excited to dive into this topic. As we had talked previously, this is one of those that everybody's paying attention to right now. In a time of challenges around customer acquisition, it can be a good plan to focus more on retaining the customers you've got than going out and trying to procure new ones. So I'm sure a lot of listeners will be very interested to hear your insights and what you guys have learned from your experiences in billing and payments. But Josh, I'll kick it over to you to get us started. Yeah, great. And thanks, Kevin, Kristen, for joining us today. Maybe the best place to start would be to, and Kevin, we'll start with you, but maybe give us a high-level overview from your perspective of the impact of retention. It's important just in subscription businesses in general. And especially, I think, for you and your role, more from the technical aspect, would be good to level set on that. Yeah. So, Obviously, subscription billing is a a lot of merchants today who are not subscription billers try to get into this recurring model because it's they look at it as as the golden nugget, for lack of a better term. I've been working at Newfold Digital slash Constant Contact for about 20 years and focused on the technology side. There's certainly a lot of challenges in today's world in the subscription business to ensuring that you're capturing as many successful payments as possible. Oftentimes, we talk about it, we say, we're in the business of payments, right? We are selling digital goods, but in in reality, we are in the business of payments and trying to optimize those payments and bring in the, the most revenue possible in that channel. So it's when you start to look at it and break it down into the realities of the business, in fact, is just looking at kind of your authorization rates and your ability to collect on a customer. Great. Kristen, any insight from your perspective or anything that you would add as as far as the importance that retention plays? Yeah, absolutely. Retention is key, especially when we're talking about subscription-based billing. That's the number one thing that you need to go for. You don't want to look at losing file size or people that have already committed to being your customer just because of a payments issue that could be something that we can control like within the business itself or something that should be on the consumer side, but there's smart ways around it that as a business that we can manage to. And the next point that the technology aspect of it is critical. So there's just so much that we can do within our own world, our own ecosystems that impact the retention rate that if you don't have any visibility to, and you're just starting out in the payments field, or you're just starting to get into your feet wet into subscription billing, that can make an incredible difference in your bottom line. And looking at actual retention rates themselves, you can see them skyrocket. 
to drill down a little bit on the word churn, it's thrown around a lot. Executives use it a lot, and especially run subscription-based businesses, but even those that now have an extra subscription program as part of their overall offer. But it really comes down to two, I'll call them broad buckets, if you will, around customer-related churn or that voluntary churn of a customer just actively saying, I don't want this product anymore, I want to discontinue it. And then this other bucket, kind of what you were just talking about, Kristen, which is more of the technology, billing errors, things like that, which are, throw them into that involuntary bucket, but are things that you can theoretically at least cure without the customer's input. So do you guys bucket those differently? Maybe Kristen, we'll start with you this time. And then within your organization or in your experience, are those things addressed separately or together? Um, That's a great question. Absolutely. They're two totally different animals. I think that you can see the two bleed together at certain points. You'll have a customer, if you're looking at voluntary churn, have a customer that tells themselves, okay, I know I canceled that credit card and that's the card that this company has. So I don't have to contact them. Like it'll just die out naturally. You're definitely going to see some use cases bleed into each other. However, I think just from my experience alone, addressing those involuntary churn buckets is if you're going to put your time and energy into one thing first, that would be the first thing that you should 100% take care of. Like if you're talking about like the, the value that you're bringing to your C-suite or your executive team and, and what you're doing as a billing professional within your own company, if you can come to them and say, hey, at the end of the day, we're doing everything that we possibly can from a technology standpoint, from a process standpoint, from an operational standpoint, we know that we have our I's dotted and our T's crossed and that there is nothing that's falling out of that revenue bucket that we can't control ourselves. Those involuntary churn use cases can get really granular, but there's, that's, you know, sort of like as a billing professional that and payments professional, that's a no brainer that you should have addressed first. And then secondary would be, but only minor, just a tiny bit secondary would be those voluntary churn use cases also, which there's a lot that happens within the voluntary churn use cases that we don't control as billing and payment specialists, right? It could have to do with product quality. It could have to do with the way that we're talking to customers, our marketing message, the copy that's put in front of people to buy. So there's only so much legwork that you can do there, but there's definitely stuff that can be done. So we've talked about loyalty programs in the past. We've talked about the cancellation process. What does that look like? Are there steps involved that can give pause to the customer when they're looking at canceling? A lot of that, a lot of what's spoken about in our world is the easier it is for a customer to go, the easier it is for them to come back. So there's a lot of work that can be done from a billing process and just a revenue operations process that can make the voluntary use cases burn a little less for your company as well. Yeah, we could probably spend an entire episode just talking about the voluntary churn because so many departments get involved when you want to address that, right? Everybody from customer service to finance to sales teams, marketing teams, everybody is involved in attacking that problem. But Kevin, for you, and you're coming at things from a technology perspective, I would assume that that involuntary churn the things that cause it and the ways that you can remedy it are a big part of what you're focused on. Yeah, certainly. Kristen made a good point of that they do voluntary and involuntary do tend to bleed into each other a little bit in some cases. But being on the technology side, there's certainly a heavier focus on that involuntary. While some of the things that the business may want to do on both sides of the equation, whether it be loyalty programs, things like that might actually drive down requirements into the technology side. But Involuntary churn is very technical in nature, right? So it's there's a lot of processes that go into play in order to that you're 
trying to improve, constantly improve over time that improve your collection rates. There's things like recycling and the dunning process is it's essentially a collections process, but where accounts are past due and they go through a series of steps within your systems. And that could be included retries of the payment method they have on file, account updates, looking for account updates from the issuers on that account. But there's many technology decisions that can be made. But first and foremost, you really have to make those decisions based on data. Data is really important on the technical side because there's certain things you may be trying that might not be working. They might actually have adverse effects. So we try to really focus on looking at the data and getting into some of the details around how successful we are on a certain practice, trying a, a payment on a Friday, for instance, that we assume is a payday or 15th or a 30th, things like that, that we really try to focus on. And that may change over time. It could change week to week. It could change issuer to issuer. So there's a whole host of things that you can do, but you really have to make sure that you're making data-driven decisions and technology and ensuring that you're getting the best ROI. Do we maybe want to talk a little bit about what causes involuntary churn? Like what technically goes wrong in the process that causes you to not be able to bill a customer or not be able to collect a payment from them? And then if you can, if it makes sense to subdivide any of those, feel free. But Kevin, you want to keep going with that thought? The most common issue with is the lack of payment, right? So it could be if it's a card on file, which the majority of our business is card on file, that it could be that they're insufficient funds. It could be that their card has expired. It could be that they have an invalid account. It could be fraudulent. It could be listed as a fraudulent transaction. There's a lot of reasons that go into those lack of payment. And there's other methods of payment that are less volatile. Things like PayPal may be less volatile because they have multiple funding sources on their account, for instance. So you may be more apt to collect or have that ability to collect on an alternate method of payment. But predominantly, that involuntary churn just boils down. At least a lot of what we deal with is the lack of payment. Kristen, any other big bucket errors that you throw into in being involuntary? Yeah, Kevin hit the nail on the head. There's two things that really stand out when you're looking at involuntary churn, and that's a lack of payment or just the fact that you can't successfully authorize that payment method that they have on file. Anybody in payments is going to tell you like there's five to six payment decline codes that stand out head and shoulders among the others. And you have the generic decline reason codes and you have the more specific decline reason codes. And it's really important as a biller or a company that's doing subscription-based billing to understand where your dollars sit in all of those different categories, just based off of the, the way that the payments ecosystem works, we all are plagued by this dominant of this generic payment, a, a sort of like vague bucket of, we just can't charge this card. That's the biggest driver of involuntary churn that I've seen over my career. But there's a lot that can be done within those buckets to recoup revenue. If Kevin had mentioned, you really are willing and able and have the support within your organization to get into the data and dig a little bit deeper and understand from maybe a card issuer standpoint or the type of card that your customer is using, different ways that you can recycle and reattempt those payments so that you can successfully get an authorization even after a generic client can happen. But the main driver, of course, is always going to be lack of payment or just in like the card will just not authorize. Yeah. So we touched on a few terms out there, right? Kevin, you dunning, uh, recycling, account updater. 
maybe for the audience, let's go through and, and kind of define some of these for those who are newer to it. Kristen, maybe give us your definitions of those three, Dunning, Recycling, and Account Updater, and explain those for the audience for us. Yeah, absolutely. So Dunning would be the process that you as an organization go through in order to communicate to your customer that there is either potentially something going to be wrong with their card prior to the date that you plan to bill them and or at date of billing and after. So it's all the process that you go through as a company to communicate that to your customer and and then uh, hopefully get a successful payment method on files that you can charge them. Whether that's at payment date or after the fact, that's all going to be wrapped up in your Dunning strategy and and whatever you're doing to, to communicate that with your customers. The recycling is an animal in itself, but really, if you have a successful recycling strategy, it can be super complex or it can be very simple. It all depends on your business model, but it would just basically be the strategy with which you as a company look at a failed payment and then go ahead and re-attempt that payment. And it could be the strategy could be that you just wait several days or you only wait or you process it through different payment processors. Like that, that process, the way that you recycle a payment can be very complex, but that process hopefully ultimately ends in you getting a successful payment as well after a failed payment. And then the third one, the account updater is essentially just a process that you as a billing company would participate in with issuing banks where as a participant in that process, you are able to retrieve from these issuing banks, which you can access through different systems, an updated payment method, whether that is the actual card number itself or just the expiration date or a combination of the two, or just even information that that card is closed and you will not be able to get any update on that. It's you are working with that card issuer in order to get that updated information, whether it's pre or post payment attempt. And that way you as a biller have that information and you can work with that much more strategically than you would if you had no information on it. Yeah, I think that's a good point of the pre and post because it depends on the processor that you're using oftentimes that whether they provide they or who you're using to get those updates from that you could do it either proactively or reactively and proactively means you're you're looking for an update prior to trying to authorize the card and a reactive mode where at the time of payment your processor is if they have an update for it they will repair that for you and that transaction should theoretically go through or they will reach out to or check for an update with the issuers in those cases. So there are distinctions between how account updater works and it does. Ultimately, it may affect how you manage your dunning and collections process, but there's different options in that regard. Yeah, I think as you look at it now too, right, with network tokenization and the promise of improved authorizations and mirroring account updater up with that, there's a lot of nuances, I think, for merchants as they think about what their strategies are in all of these areas, right? And measuring the impact, right? Back to that data approach, measuring the impact that all of this stuff has on the bottom line of the business. And I think a lot of folks might've been misguided by the belief that the account updater was the be all, end all, and it was the solve every problem. But the way I'm not even sure we ever got to 100% participation with issuers, but for the longest time, it was only participated by some of the, the main big issuers. So you weren't getting account updates for all of your card base. And there's also nuances to what certain issuers are submitting updates for. There's situations where lost or stolen might not be actual. They might not 
submit an updated card for lost or stolen. So it's not the be all end on and fix all of your collections problems. But if you're not doing it, you absolutely should be. In both of your responses, I heard mention of your acquirer, your payment service provider, maybe even presenting through different ones for each transaction. Could we? Could you maybe explain a little bit? Because I think a lot of listeners might be surprised to hear that I can submit a payment one way through one processor, but I actually have other options if that payment is declined, such as potentially sending it through an alternative processor, changing the date that I'm sending it, I'm sending it changing the way that I'm sending it. Because again, I think a lot think I just send through an account number, I send through an amount, and that is what it is. So can you talk a little bit about what your experiences are around those differences and how it actually can be effective? And maybe Kristen, start with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just out of my own professional experience, having multiple payment processors is just a critical and very important thing to do. If you're a, a business of a certain size, you're going to need that redundancy just from a protecting yourself kind of a standpoint. But it also affords you additional benefits, which is what you're talking about, which is the potential to process a payment. If it fails through one gateway, one of your payment processors cannot authorize that payment, then you might have an opportunity to take that payment and to successfully authorize it through a different, different payment processor. And a great example of this is whoever your payment processor is, there's really a big bank that is like the back end rails of that payment processor. And if you can find out, it's usually pretty easy to find out who that big bank is. But a very obvious example of this would be Chase. So Chase as a payment processor can provide you with a better opportunity to authorize Chase credit cards than let's just say like a Vantiv or a PayPal or anybody else, just because they have that exclusive relationship with their Chase card member. They understand what their spending rate is. They understand what their what, what type of card they qualify for. So in that event, if there's anything like in the gray area, when you're trying to process that Chase card through a Vantiv gateway or a different gateway, if you were to process it through the Chase gateway, then that's going to give you a better opportunity to authorize. But if you even, you have opportunities even within those two, within that sort of same process to know, okay, well, Chase cards typically, their billing cycle ends on the 23rd of every month. So if you have a bulk of money that's sitting there declined on Chase credit cards within your organization, then maybe you reattempt it through your Chase gateway relationship. That's a bare bones, sort of very basic example, but that's a great way to go about being really intelligent with your payment routing and retry strategies. That's a really good real world example. Kevin, you have any similar stories? Yeah, just to further on that a little bit, uh, there's additional use case where, you know, if, if you're an international uh, business, we've always had a, a multi-processor acquirer strategy where we've had redundancy in the processors. And there's certain level of challenges when you're processing internationally, especially when you're doing cross-border. So there's what we've seen over time was having that failover ability or that chaining ability has allowed us to better our authorization rates or better our collections rates because we are trying one processor. And in certain cases, there might be what we've seen in Latin America. A lot of stuff gets marked as fraudulent, which in essence, it's not necessarily always fraudulent. It's just concern across the whole portfolio for you as a merchant, potentially in that region. So what we've seen is transaction that's being rejected in Latin America is uh, where the acquirer in Latin America is actually being approved by a U.S. domestic acquirer. And so there's a lot of different things that that multi-processor and acquirer strategy can help with. Right. And so I want to also go back to account updater. So I know 
Kevin, I guess both of you talked about different ways, right? Pre-auth, post-auth. What learnings or considerations do you have in your experience with account updater? Is there, is it better to do it pre? Is it better to do it post? Is it, do you do both? What considerations are there when it comes to kind of optimizing account updater? For the most part, in my experience, we've used we've used more so the reactive method. So we're getting it after post authorization. We've also, in turn, have changed some of our business model in some cases for some of our product offerings, where we are author trying to pre-authorize a card ahead of time, and we try to see what the results of if we're pre-authorized before they're technically their invoice date and ensuring that this card is going to be approved. So that way we can reach out and ahead of schedule. We've toyed with that. So in that essence, it almost becomes that's more of a, a proactive approach because even though it's you're reactively doing it after the authorization, you're doing that prior to them. And, but for the most part, we've done it reactively. And, and a lot of that was because it was a, a technology decision too with some of our, that's one of the preferred mechanisms. It, it was a it makes the implementation a lot easier. Krista, what have you experimented with or seen from an optimization perspective there? Okay, well, account updater is without a doubt something that has to be done. It's the first thing that anyone will tell you if you're talking about a retention or a revenue recovery. That's the first thing on everyone's checklist. You have to be using account updater. But back to some points that we made previously during the call is account updater, really just a level set, really only is probably going to cover a fraction of your all the credit cards that you have on file. So when you are looking at what is your strategy and how are you going to approach using account updater, you do need to really dig into the data and understand what impact are you going to have on your credit card file. And then in doing so, that will dictate whether or not you want to be more real-time, getting that repair in a real-time process, which a lot of account updater processes will allow you to do both either the reactive version or in the real-time. So if somebody was attempting to bill me right now and I have a new credit card number, but they might not have that number in real time. There are processes that will update that so that the biller can process it right away so that it's, you don't have to wait for it to be a reactive thing, but that's more expensive than the reactive process. So it's definitely going to be more financially optimal to look at the reactive processes, but in doing so, the best that I've ever seen and the way to manage it is to look at finding within your file those credit cards that need to be updated, either because you already know that their expiration date is out of range and or you've had prior declines happen on that card that indicate that there's something wrong with that card. So you can be very strategic about how you approach account updater and, and taking those card numbers and processing them through that service in order to make sure that you're not sending good cards after good cards and just spending and burning money on updates that you do not need yet. So when we look at that reactive process, that's, in my experience, been the best way to approach doing it, especially considering that it's not going to touch your entire file. It's best to look at exactly what you're going to get the most bang for your buck out of when you're going to even attempt to get an update. Yeah, completely makes sense. So I guess to, to round this section out, maybe share with us um, any other kind of technology considerations that you guys have seen, toyed with, played with, implemented, pulled out when it comes to dunning, recycling, account updater, or other ways that you have looked at retaining customers from an involuntary churn perspective. Kristen, we'll start with you. Okay, sure. I think when you're looking at, at this part of your business and what you're going to try to work on, it all comes down to balance. Every piece of the puzzle is going to play a part in you being able to re both retain revenue and, and to recover funds that maybe you weren't able to initially charge. So 
everything really works together. One thing that's stood out over the years for me that's been very successful is from a Dunning perspective, making sure that when I communicate to customers that there could be something wrong with their card and or we already know that there's something wrong with their card and we weren't able to charge them successfully, making it so simple and easy for them once they open that email message that it's a one-click thing that on prior experience, it's always been a button that just says update payment method and it it just authenticates them immediately. They don't have to put in their username or their password. It just takes them to a very easy screen that just allows them to put it into new payment credentials and see exactly what's outstanding. That's been super, super successful. Another thing that's been very successful from a recovery standpoint would be taking the concept of account updater and recycling and taking it a step further and looking at your ecosystem that you have for credit cards for your customers. And if this fits for you, it's a great it's a great option. If it doesn't fit for you, then not so much. But if you have a customer with multiple cards on file, another great way to recover revenue, and you have to be very clear in your wording and compliance and run this through your legal department, but is to use next best card on file. If we have issues with retrying the same payment method over and over again, and we can't get the customer to communicate with us, then if there's a next best card on file that they have given to us as a company to bill before, then that's part of our terms and conditions. It's part of our agreement. And we bill that card as a secondary or a backup card. That's brought tons of money to the table in, in the past for us as a company or the companies that I've worked for. So I definitely recommend that strategy as long as it aligns with, with what you're able to work out with your legal and your compliance teams. Yeah, great points. Kevin, what have you experimented with or seen? Yeah. So from a Dunning and collection standpoint, we've toyed around with over time of when that communication is being sent. If a customer is going to get into our recycling flows and we typically allow at least one attempt in recycling before we're actually notifying the customer in order to not, obviously you don't recurring revenue subscription-based it's, you don't want to wait the sleeping bear. Oftentimes it's just the nature of the business. So we'll, we've toyed around with when that notification goes out the other thing that we've we we're constantly changing kind of those those recycle cadences where we toy around with certain decline codes and trying like I was saying earlier in different days of the week times of the day we try to normalize all of our payment retry attempts to 10 a.m. local time so we basically look at the issuing bank of the card and normalize to that that 10 a.m. in hopes that we don't run into any bank downtimes because we do know that does happen or there's when funds are put on their accounts that so insufficient funds transactions go through. We also do a whole host of expiration date rolling in cases where account updater doesn't give us an updated expiration date. We do attempts based on rolling of that expiration date forward the five years and then rolling it back a year each time. And that we've seen considerable success in that. Although it it varies over time, like all of this stuff does. We've seen some good success on that. And then at other times, it depending upon the card and whatnot, we don't necessarily see as much success. Yeah, I think years ago, I think we experimented with some expiration date rolling ourselves. And we saw that if we didn't set an expiration date at all, then it went transactions went through at a high rate. I think there's cycles of these things somehow that get out there and just start working all of a sudden, then they stop working, right? And you have to right. try something else. Right. I think, again, that goes back to using data to make educated decisions for from a technology standpoint. I think that's going to help you. That's going to help drive your decisions. And you constantly have to be aware of 
that it's ever changing. Certain they bucket decline codes, they bucket declines into certain codes differently over time. And being aware of that, there's certain decline codes that they don't want you retrying, and those do tra- change over time as well. So ensuring that you're up to date on those things and you're pulling those out of your recycling strategy and potentially doing something different and how you're notifying the customer or how you're getting in touch with the customer because you're likely not going to have success on those retries. So getting up front, getting to those customers quicker. Kevin, I'm curious. I think you are in a fairly unique position, probably a little different from the average payment professional of being the one responsible for payments, but also being in the nuts and bolts of the technology. So if you have a hypothesis about something, want to experiment, I would assume you probably have a lot of control and leeway to play with things, right? Make those changes, see if it incrementally adds value, and then quickly make adjustments from there or roll it back if it didn't. But to my, like I was saying, that's not a common situation. So maybe, Kristen, for you, when you've had, you know, at any of your organizations had a, I want to try this or I want to try that, trying to make the business case for IT which can be very, very expensive, or even your third-party vendor if you're relying on somebody else to make these sorts of changes. How do you quantify it? How do you bring everybody to the table and say, hey, if we do this, I think this will be the result, and then get the executives to say, put the stamp on it, let's let's go give it a try? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that I think, based on the organization, you it's received differently. Without a doubt, the best thing that I've been able to do to be effective in that capacity over the years is to really this is a recurring theme for our talk, really, but is to get into the data. There's no two ways to shake a stick at it. Like You just absolutely have to understand where the money sits within your organization. So where are we losing the most money? Where do we stand to gain the most money? It just boils down to those two different things because that's what's going to sway their opinion. And whatever is the biggest pain point is what you address first. But you're going to have to trickle that down to everything else after the fact. And what I've done is just taken that, that opportunity and quantified it and say, okay, this is the amount of money that literally walking out the doors every single day because we're not doing anything about it. This is the idea behind what I, I think will help resolve that. And best case scenario, we recoup X amount. Worst case scenario, we recoup Y. However, it's still money to the bottom line. Obviously, not every time that you bring that to an executive team, are they going to think it's worth doing? I've definitely had tons of bad ideas in the past, but the good ideas have been very successful and profitable for the businesses. You kind of learn how to pick and choose. And a lot of it depends on when you want to take something and have an idea on, okay, I think this can move the needle. I think the best thing that you can do is to understand when you're going to communicate that to whoever is making the decision, understand what their motivators are. It's not just always a revenue goal. It has to be something that sits within your organization's like real just way that they do business, the way that they want to talk to their customers, the way that they want to treat their customers. So make sure that there's an alignment there between what you're asking to try to do and how it's going to impact the customers at the end of the day. Because as long as those things are in alignment and you're able to to drive some significant revenue to the table, I think without a doubt, you'll find you won't have somebody give you a hard time about trying something. Right. Kevin, back to what you were saying, just in terms of the different strategies you've implemented to recover payments, taking out expiration dates, incrementing them, pre-authorizations, all of these different things, right? There are some explicit lines, right? Whether it be card schemes or federal agencies, local agencies about what you can and can't do, right? There's definitely some of those, but a lot of things are just not covered or aren't, they're just not addressed in one way or another. So when you're trying to be as effective as you can, but still remain compliant, how do you keep on top of all of the different 
rules that are out there because they're coming from a lot of different places. How do you stay on top of what you can and can't do and not only what you're doing today, but what you want to do tomorrow? Yeah, it, it, it's certainly one of the bigger challenges, right? There's, you can have any number of compliance rules and changes that may come into effect. It might be a, a local or a government regulation. It could be a card scheme regulation, right? So there's constantly things changing. And we all know that at least if you read through some of the schemes changes and that they've documented or whatnot, they're not the easiest to read through and understand. They're not clear. And I feel like even sometimes the acquirers and the processors don't even know what they say or what they mean. You really have to stay focused on those things. It's not only from the scheme standpoint, but government regulations, it's ever-changing by state. There's challenge, this recurring business, the, the forced continuity. There's all kinds of things that change and how a a subscription biller needs to operate. It does take a team, right? You need folks that are invested in that on the payment side. It's one thing to understand it, all the legality of a lot of things, but from a payment standpoint, you need to have a team that really focuses on those things and, and is up to date on those things because it does. It will change how your technology works or could enforce how your technology works, but you really need to stay focused on that. How did you do it, Kristen? Because I think if your title is billing and payments within an organization, everybody else is probably looking at you to answer the question, what can and can I do? Like, how do we maximize every single dollar? But it's impossible to read 2,000 page rule books of Visa and then MasterCards and everybody else's and all of the different federal laws that are out there. So what have you found are some of the best ways to remain on top of what the industry is doing? That's such a great question. I think over the years, I have fumbled my way into the best process that has worked for me. And one of the things that I think has been really key is being able to attend conferences and industry events that like jam pack all that information, all those updates, all the things that you need to be aware of right there in like a two or three day time frame, right? Like you can be in those conferences, whether it's card not present or the payments conferences that they do. There's some conferences called subscribed where you can be in the same room as American Express, Visa, Discover, MasterCard. You can hear from other companies that are facing the same issues that you're facing. And when you have that sort of face-to-face time and you're attending those events, it's really invaluable because you'll find, you'll learn more there and be aware of more that's going to come into play over the next six or eight or nine months than you would if you're just trying to manage your day-to-day job every single day by yourself. And which is, I was a one-man team for almost 10 full years, managing the billion payments for 10 to 16 companies at a given time. So that became almost unmanageable without being able to go to those types of events and and to interface with those different pieces of the puzzle. Another thing that's been super invaluable to me as well has been able to work with great partners. I found and know some incredible people in the payment space over the years that have always been like able to tap me on the shoulder or just say, hey, have you seen this? If you can make friends with other folks in the business to share the same sort of role that you do, if you can keep each other informed, that's another great thing to do. I oftentimes will go on just LinkedIn and find people that do what I do as well for other companies and just be like, hey, do you want to chat? Do you want to spend five minutes? We can share information about what's what I'm facing as a challenge and maybe what you're facing and see if we can help each other out. That's another great way to do that. Not being afraid to, I think, just have a conversation is is one of the best ways to keep yourself informed and on top of the ball. Yeah, I don't think I could have said any of that better myself. Your network, right? The events that are out there, 
obviously there's articles, right? They release their schedules of changes if you're the card schemes and you can follow this stuff through the, that's I think the long way around it, right? For us payment professionals, but that networking opportunity, I think can really shine through and be helpful for everybody. Yeah, that's evidenced by this entire series that we're doing right here, bringing in professionals and have perspectives on different areas of, of recurring payments. And for as much as ground as we've covered on those episodes and this one, we could take any of these topics we've talked about today and probably do a separate episode just on those. We could talk about decline codes, what they mean, you know, do you recycle them? Do you not? How they've changed over time? I, I mean, we could go into depths there, but there's just, there's really not time to do it. But I guess to wrap us up here a bit for you guys, for any listeners who may have tuned into this episode and said, I'm being charged with retention, with reducing our churn, maximizing our collections by our executives or my director, what have you. If there were top one or two things that they should take away from what we've talked about today, what would they be? And maybe Kevin, we'll start with you. Go back to the data, right? I think first and foremost, if you're not doing this already, you need to go and figure out exactly what are those benchmarks? What are those things we want to understand from our customer base and our inability to collect, whether, you know, separating out the voluntary versus involuntary and ensuring that once you've broken that down into those buckets, you can look at, let's get more deeper dive into the whys around involuntary. In essence, the data doesn't lie, right? It keep going back to it, but it really does tell you a lot about your customer's inability to pay you, right? So there's definitely things there that I think you might open up and see something that could improve your recurring transaction base significantly just by finding some, identifying some little portion of your customer base. So you might have a lot more success in that. Always a good one. Kristen? I mean, it's not the most exciting answer, but I agree with Kevin. It's a hundred percent. You have to get into the data. And I think that people hear that sometimes and it feels really intimidating because you might not be a data person. You might be you might not just see yourself as that type of person, but at the end of the day, like there's no other way to figure it out. And if you feel like you're not a data person, you're standing, you're staring at your data and who is in your file and what kind of cards are in your file and what your, where your declines are. And you don't know what to do. I think the best thing that you can do is just look at what's the biggest bucket. Where are we losing the most money? Start there and look at those cards and then try to better understand, okay, who and how and why are they falling in there? What are the days that we're charging them? Like the, the picture will unfold from there. But if you can yep. just start with the data, then 100% you're going to find ways to impact the bottom line and to drive revenue to your organization. And really at the end of the day, all you do is put one foot in front of the other and you'll end up figuring it out from there. Small change could bring big reward. That's a good segue into our other episode around payments reporting. We did a whole episode just on that topic. So if anybody's listening to this one first, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that one. But guys, thanks again for the time today. This has been a great discussion, a lot of great points around where to start and where to dive into to retain those hard-earned customers. And we really appreciate the time today. So thanks once again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.